All right, welcome. We're back for more, as Rat would say. This is a very special edition of Inappropriate Earl because of my technological uh, difficulties where I did a near hour and a half interview with this man and uh, turns out I wasn't recording uh, through the right speaker and it was just a big a big uh, hellabaloo but he's nice enough to come back he's a man who you who you may have seen on the hills he's a man who you will see on damaged goods when that thing gets picked up in uh, five years 20 34 I've never seen a pilot take so long to get picked up. Yeah, we're still uh, editing. Uh, it's been two years. I haven't seen anything. Have you seen anything, Earl? I have not seen anything, but we'll get into that. This is the worst introduction ever. <laughs> I might have to have him come back a second time just to re-record the introduction. You've seen the movie Dumbbells, which was a great movie. It really was very funny. And uh, just the fact that he got a movie made in this day and age uh, with an all-star cast, Fabio... Jen Murphy, John Huck, Nick Nicotero. I mean, it's a who's who. <laughs> Please welcome Mr. Brian Drolet. Thank you for having me, Earl. Dude, thanks for coming back, man. I'm really uh, apologize that. <laughs> My pleasure. I had to. Uh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm always better the second time around. So. Oh, aren't we all? Yeah, at least that's what they tell me. <laughs> no, yeah, well, they're all twats. <laughs> we met originally uh, at a table read. For a pilot we did two years ago. It is correct, uh, where we both took a bathroom break. And uh, as as we were peeing at the urinals, I think you looked over and told me that you were so hard right now. Well, I thought it'd be an <laughs> icebreaker. I, uh, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was just offended. I walked off. I refused to film the pilot. No, I thought it was very funny, and I, was, I, I immediately... I was like, I like this guy. Well, I just remember, I think it was you, me, Nick, Nicotera. Yeah, yeah. And maybe one other guy. And uh, it was a table read of like, you know, probably five guys, five girls. Ben Morrison was there. The great Ben Morrison, uh, Melissa Villasenor. Uh, yes. The uh, the great uh, Gabriel Tigerman. Yes, who I see on that commercial with the floating yeah. hand all the time. He's killing it. Him and the other guy. Who's the guy with the mustache? He's yeah. I see him in commercials all the time too. I never met him. Oh really? Um, he was uh, he was there when we were filming, or maybe you weren't in those scenes. I can't remember, but uh, he was there at the table read, and then the the week I was. That's why I don't understand how come the show hasn't gotten picked up yet. Every single person in the cast is killing it commercially. I see them, and you know, can't that translate from commercials to the show? Well, no? you know more <laughs> about the business than I do. Yeah, I know that the business has no rules, has no mercy. It's just a tornado of. Uh, unexpected um no rules no rules in this business i mean our pilot i think is uh such a typical hollywood story where it's the cast was great cast was great i mean the material was funny we had a, a great time on set it's just the, the ultimate question mark what whatever happened with it i mean it, you know everyone donated their time i mean i think the set designer was some like oscar winning yeah and, you know set designer and and uh the camera guys were all like maybe we should just show up to the the office and knock on the door and demand demand the footage and then we go pitch it ourselves i mean when you see i think we should pitch it to spike tv because i think they uh they'll pretty much take any idea <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I always thought Spike was a good home, but uh, you know what? If it never gets picked up, at least we found each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm starting to believe that after two years, the, the odds are getting lower and lower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it two years that is where you started to uh, wane your hopes? <laughs> well, it was, uh, I think we shot in May of 2012, and it's now uh, June of 2014. <laughs> I'm getting choked up here. <laughs> By the way, uh, you guys can't see it, but Earl has a pink knuckle uh, brass rings on his microphone. It's pretty hilarious. These are the only, uh, this is the only sponsor of Inappropriate Earl. Uh, as you can see, the book in front of you is the biography. Sex, of, Drugs, Rat, and Roll. The bio biography, uh, the biography of the great singer from Rat, Stephen Piercy. Oh. He has a company called Mike Knuckles, and he, uh, I he, thought, wow. And he is the only sponsor of this show. Mike Knuckles. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had a microphone in my hand, and I thought, I need some pink knuckles to go along with it. Well, I also have two uh, in red know. and blue. I mean, it, okay. it's as you can see. Uh, you got to start videotaping this. Well, video, as you know, it's for a podcast. I, I looked into it because I thought, how neat would it be like right now to have a, a camera on you? Sure. Camera on me. I think, Pete, you're a good looking dude. I, I've seen you at Swingers getting some late night tuna. <laughs> late night tuna. Uh, yeah, what's uh, that? Every time I'm out and I'm intoxicated after a night out on the town, I go, I get some food, and there's Earl just sitting there eating, and uh, he has to see me in my drunken debauchery, wearing well, like four hamburgers, nachos with extra cheese, and uh, a Coke. <laughs> well, but yeah, but you also got some uh, some women around you. and Never. I don't know what you're... I've never interacted with a female in but, L.A. Well, you know, I, I'm sure after Dumbbells was the hit it was that... Oh, yeah, they just come flocking. No, that was The Hills. The Hills was... You know, it's so funny because I've been an art major my whole life. I love creating things. And it's like I'll I'll spend years creating a movie that, you know, like Dumbbells or Two Dudes in a Dream was the movie I created before it. It's like my blood, sweat, and tears. And then this show that I show up to film for, you know, an hour of my time and make bullshit conversation with people. That's where I go. And people flip out and go nuts. <laughs> it's just It's just so hilarious to me. You know, still to this day, I will be in a restaurant and have somebody walk up to me. I actually had a about a 45-year-old uh, Indian man come up to me once. I was eating, and he just said, are you Brian from the Hills? And I said, are you fucking with me? <laughs> well, I didn't watch the Hills. I'm not going to lie to you. Were, it, was your name Brian on the Hills? Yeah, my name was Brian on the, on the show. and uh, But it was all, you know, manipulated and, uh, you know, wasn't authentic. Um, but I, I played myself... But it was frustrating because when the show came out, everybody thought that I was this rich, spoiled kid from the Hollywood Hills, but they didn't realize I was from New York. I was like sleeping on a couch and I was not only was I not rich, but I was, uh, you know, less than rich. I was broke and still am. And <laughs> Actually, do you have any money I could borrow? Earl? I got that's a couple really, bucks in the bank. That's why I'm here today. This pays, right? Oh, yeah. This is a, this gets you into the union. Okay, cool. Okay, great. The Libido Liquors Act. I'm actually trying to get out of the union so I don't have to pay my dues anymore since I am broke. No, this is the <laughs> fascinating thing to me. It's like people, I just think, assume that you made a movie. It got into theaters. It was, you know, Netflix, Hulu. You know, it's a hit. You know, by today's standards, it's it's, you know... 
most movies don't even get put into theaters these days. Who goes to see a movie in a theater it's anymore? It's really hard to get in theaters nowadays. All the all the theater movies are like the two hundred million dollar Michael Bay explosion. You know, three D. It's very rare. I mean, look at John Favreau's latest movie, Chef. I mean, even that got a limited theatrical release, and he's like a great filmmaker. The movie's awesome. But if it's not a huge action CGI thing, it's just, you know, the whole, I, I saw a great article recently. Um, God, I, I, I don't, maybe it's Ivan Reitman or I can't remember, but it's, it's an old school filmmaker. I think he was the guy who did, um, gosh, it's all, it's escaping me right now, but he's an old school filmmaker. And he basically said, you know, back in the day, you used to know who owned the studio. He could say, oh, that's, you know, Wasserman or that's whoever. And nowadays you don't know because they're just international beasts. They're, right. they're owned by so many different companies and they're just machines. And, and that's why you see, you know, Transformers Part 9. You know, they just keep taking these brands. It's very rare that you've got an original idea unless you are uh, James Cameron or somebody like that who can get, you know, a billion dollars to make Avatar. <laughs> I mean, I saw the remake of RoboCop uh a few months ago and it was awful it was i didn't see that one but yeah robocop i mean the lego movie 21 22 jump street and listen i love those are all good movies uh but i'm just saying that's what you're up against if you're an independent filmmaker with an original idea um it's just you know any movie that's an original non kind of uh commercial idea what do they do they get released in a couple of indie film uh, indie movies here and there and occasionally they'll gain traction and they'll roll them out a little bit larger but even with huge movie stars they're still getting that limited small release and it's really only cinephiles and, and movie lovers that will go see them you're not going to get the average joe schmo to, to go to his indie theater and pay you know eight dollars to see you know a movie about uh, a romantic you know like what was that movie um Julia Louise Dreyfus and uh, James Gandolfini. That was a great movie, but I think even that was more of a limited release, right. right? But a great film. So it's just the nature of the business now. And there's so much distribution. You know, you've got Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. It's kind of like it's good in, in one way because, you know, there's there's more ways to get your, your stuff out. But then it's bad because it's also it's harder to get it seen because it's a sea of content. And it's just like everyone's trying to figure out and catch up now and, and figure out the best way to distribute content. And it's just hard. I mean, I know a lot of people that have, you know, made movies, indie movies or or different things. And it's just it's really hard to get seen nowadays, I feel like. Well, I mean, I just shot uh, an episode of Rob Schneider's TV show and he's doing it all on his own. Like on the Internet, right? Like Louis C.K. type of. Yeah, deal? he's I think he's he. Trying to get it, uh, shop it around to like FX and, and things like that, but like he's paying for everything. He's, you know, all his friends are, are basically the crew. And mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's like, and that's Rob Schneider. And that's Rob Schneider. That's a guy with, you know, decades and, and a name. And look at that. He's not even getting love. He's got to do it all himself. So imagine now you're a guy who's not Rob Schneider and you got a good idea. Like us. Like us, you know? I should I, say like you. Well, no. I mean, I, right now we're actually, I, I just finished what's called the the, the Bible. It's the, we're, we're trying to convert dumbbells into a television show and pitch that. But you got to create uh, what they call a Bible, which is just a really extensive treatment, which outlines every season 
every episode, every character. And obviously, like, if you're a known showrunner or, you know, have a track record in television, you don't have to create something as extensive. But uh, I've been doing that. And, you know, who knows what will happen with that? I mean, who am I? You know, they'll probably look at it. And if anything, they'll give me money and then just take it and go on their own. Um, but I'd like to stay positive and optimistic and hope that people will see the value. And, um, you know, you never know. But, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a shifting um, landscape these days with the Internet and, and, and just all these these new ways to, to get stuff out there. Well, if you get that on TV, due to my extensive uh, background in steam room gym stories, I'd, I'd like to be like the... Oh, no, I've already got a role for you. It's a guy with a hard-on four. There's hey, whatever. four guys with a hard-on. I want you to be the fourth one. You know, uh, guys one through three have lines like, um, you know, like touch it, stroke it. Uh, suck it. Suck it. And then guy number four just stands there. And I was like, Earl, that's my guy. But... <laughs> Well, hey, listen, I auditioned uh, for Gay Cop number four once. You so. know, the, the audition process for, for that role is very interesting. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Does it take place at Louie Anderson's house? Yeah, Bluey Anderson. Sweet Lou? <laughs> Bluey Henderson. Well, hey, listen. Oh, stop it. I'm going to smack myself. No, no, no. Just, you know, <laughs> hold that mic about eight inches to your mouth. and. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, the, the the discussion took a turn, but it's inappropriate, Earl. So yeah. I figure if I don't if I don't you know get a little lowbrow here, you know I'm not really doing my job. Well, I mean the whole purpose of this show. Vagina. Yeah, vagina. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want this to be like just a conversation, like two dudes would be having at a bar. I don't I have no set questions. All right. Uh, we, no, I can tell that Earl. I can tell there's no. Set. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I find that boring. No, like, I, oh, I, so Brian, tell us what it was like to make dumbbells. Uh, yeah, well, Earl, I found it challenging in pre-production when we lost funding. Yeah, I mean, who wants to hear that? You know, I okay, want. Ask me, ask me anything you want. What are you, off the cuff? This is improv. Folks. This is improv. Well, I got kicked out of the Groundlings, so I don't. Did you really? I did. You know, I have beef with the Groundlings. Because I, I went. Let me. Let me. You tell me your I'm beef. I'll tell you mine. And, and I'll yeah, name okay. names. No, don't make it quick. <laughs> Don't make it quick. Okay. Um, that's what she said. But unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Vagina. Um, <laughs> so I went to the Groundlings. Now, a quick backstory. I've got extensive background in improv. I've been, I've been improving my whole life. Like right now, I don't know what I'm going to say next. This is just improv. But that's what I like. Yeah. So, um, but no, I, so I, true story. I did um, a movie where the whole movie, the character had minimal lines, but the director knew I was good at improv. So, I improv every scene and became like one of the leads in the movie. And I did Upright Citizens Brigade. I, I just I just had various improv background. So I'm like, oh, I heard a lot about the groundlings. Let me go and check this out. So I go and they, you know, the first thing you have to do is a group improv audition. That's that's the first step of the groundlings. So I in my head I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird, but okay. So I go and they put you in this classroom that's like, you know, the size of a small living room with like 20 people and one improv teacher. And I'll never forget they they said, "Okay, I want everybody at the same time to pretend that you're a uh, a tow truck driver." And now everybody in the rooms all of a sudden pretending like they're towing a car or doing and I'm just like, "Man, this is so stupid." Like so then, then we had to do something where we pretend we're a detective. Anyway, make a long story short, the end of the class, they're like, we're going to notify you and let you know where we think you should be placed in the program. So they call me. 
And I, I, there was like four or five other people that went with me. So I knew what feedback they were getting as well. And for everybody, they said the same thing. They said, you're not prepared for improv 101. You need to do a six week course of basic improv before you can be an improv 101. So I, now knowing that all my friends who are all experienced actors got the same call, I said to the lady on the phone, I said, I said, ma'am, I'm fine with doing your program, you know, however you, you guys, whatever your thing is, but I just got to call out the elephant in the room of that it's bullshit that you're, you're just making me do a six week program because that's more money for you guys. Because to tell me that I can't do basic improv 101, you know, it's like, with, with with the process that I just went through knowing about improv, I'm like, you're just it's just ludicrous. And I, I just I don't like the fact that I'm I'm being I'm like a what would you call it? A um a a pawn in your system of making money rather than recognizing, okay, this person knows improv, this person does it, and placing accordingly. And her response to me was so offensive. She says, Sir, it just sounds like your your ego has been bruised. And I said, wow, I go, that's your response for a potential customer? I go, you think this is about my ego? I said, no, this is about money. I said, I don't want to spend six weeks of my money on something of saying yes and for six weeks that I've just done. Like, so I just said, your program is full of shit. And I said, I hope your building burns and dies. I didn't say that, but I thought it really hard and I hung up the phone. And See, I, that was good improv right there. You improvised the line. Exactly, that I didn't actually say. So take that, groundlings. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I was <laughs> lied to, you know. I took the first level. And, you know, back then it was like you do the first six uh, classes and then they give you feedback. So they got you for those first six. So I do the first six and the guy, Sean Hogan, my teacher. Uh, oh, name and names. Yeah, why not, man? Hogan, not, more like Blogan. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'll improv never. again dude, in dude. your face yes. vagina suck it hogan he's like dude you're the funniest guy in class you're the team leader you just need to work a little bit on your space work which is for those of you who don't know it's just like the fake holding of a glass or yeah you know which just, let me tell you that's bullshit because this guy holds a fake glass like you would know oh, yeah. he's doing it right now oh my god there's a glass it's in your hand it's a martini it's good it's dirty yes and boom yes and there you go there we go 12th session comes 12 you're up to 12 now so i take the you know i i, I finish the course because you're committed and he sits in the middle of the room we're all out in the hallway we go in one at a time and i'm thinking at the worst he's going to tell me you get to go on the level too i walk in I literally, before my ass hit the chair, he's like, you know you're not good enough to do this, right? He said that to yeah. you before you were going to perform. I No, I mean, you. It's so the set, The season is over, so now you get your feedback. for, uh -huh. what, And I'm like, well, you told me at the end of the sixth session, like, I basically was the best one here. He's like, no, you're not good enough to do this. You can repeat if you want. So I just what? think it's a total scam. It is a scam. Like, every, listen... Most acting programs in LA are just people that are failed actors that are now using whatever experience they have to create these codependent relationships. I know so many actors, they're so pathetic, they're so dependent on their acting teachers, acting coaches. And even, you know, you know, I've I've seen it before in plays that I've done where actors give directors so much credit. And even an old acting teacher of mine, I'll never forget, she told me she said 
as an actor, you don't get to have an opinion. You just have to be clay for the director. Right. And I, I, I was like, I'm done with this program. You know, as, as someone who writes and directs as well, it's like sometimes actors have such a cheesy mentality of, of they give their power away to these people that there's no right or wrong in acting. If the line is, you know, I'm cold right now, I could say it like I'm cold right now. I could say I'm cold right now, you know, and who's to tell you which is the, the correct way, you know? So obviously there's techniques, there's lessons, and there are great acting teachers. You know, I went to Leslie Kahn for many years and I love that program. I love Leslie Kahn. I always recommend it to people. Um, but I just think, you know, as an actor, don't give away your power so much. And then there's also people that they get so addicted to their one program. You know, one thing that I thought that really helped me is going to several different programs, you know, different ways to skin a cat. And, and, and then you got to come up with your kind of your process through all these different ways. And, and that's why a good improv class is a good complement to a good acting class. Um, but just don't you know, get to the, remember that it is a business. The longer they keep you there, the more money they make. If you're paying 300 bucks a month, why are they going to tell you you're great? I don't need you anymore. It's $300 out the window for them. I mean, think about that. If acting class is $300 a month and they've got a hundred students. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, what is that? 300 grand a month? Are you kidding me? I, Earl, I think we need to become acting coaches. I think that's really the epiphany I'm having right here. But why not? I mean, uh, I'm serious. I'm. I'm. I was in bench warmers. Bench warmers. Were you in bench warmers? I was the porta potty guy. I threw up. <laughs> really? I got to rewatch that movie. Big scene. About nice. 20 minutes in. Uh, so you can coach actors, but actors are good at throwing up anyway, especially female ones. Oh, they're all twats in this city. <laughs> Vagina. Uh, I mean, you know, but the groundlings, the way it's set up, at least when I was there, was like if no one moves on from the uh, lab into the performance group then no one can really move on from uh, level three and, and so on and so forth. So it's like, even if you're good enough to move on, they hold you back and just take your money again. How funny is that, that it's such bullshit that I didn't even make it past the first interview because I called bullshit from that first interview. I was like, bullshit. Well, they're so used to people kissing their ass just to get in because... You know, they have had some famous alumni, I think, uh, Pee Wee Herman. And I'm <laughs> no, I'm dude, Pee Wee Herman is really yeah, fucking yeah. funny. But that's that's how most programs get you is they they hold over your head who's been through the program. But if you think about it, if you're an acting program in Hollywood, odds are you've had at least five famous people come through your program, you know, because when everybody moves out here, they're, they're going to go study somewhere. And then that place has you forever to say, well, I coached Cameron Diaz when she first moved out here and it's like oh my god it's Cameron Diaz's coach meanwhile you know she went there once and uh now they forever use that so I don't know there are good acting programs and coaches out there uh it's just like anything in life don't give your power away and there's really no question that you don't know the answer to well I mean you brought it vagina up. If you're uh, for you alcoholic listeners out there, and I'm assuming there are some that listen to this show, 
Every time uh, Brian says vagina, take a shot. You know. Yeah, just take a shot. Okay, vagina, vagina, vagina. This uh, episode will be airing within an hour, so I'm uh, much better now. At oh, this is going to be on air in an hour. It's going to be on air. In, well, whenever you leave, I, it takes me about 20 minutes to edit it. You know, put the music where it needs to be. So when put. I get mean texts from females that know me on Facebook, they're like. You said vagina an awful lot, Brian. By the way, take a shot. Yeah, but and then I'm gonna say, but it was inappropriate, Earl. Yeah, but they're they're ass kissers. They're gonna want to be in on the next shoot. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, one of the next big wave of uh, producer, actor, directors. I mean, you got talent, and uh, I mean, you know. But getting back to these acting. No, no, no. Go on, go on. No, you're you're the real deal. I could spot talent. Like you know, you're big, good-looking dude. You're hungry. You're creative. I mean. You know, it's just that you need that one, you know, either person or project to uh, get you over the top, you know. And I appreciate that, Earl. I'm not going to lie to you. I've, I've never wanted to quit this business more than I have this year. Oh, it's a horrible business. It's a horrible business. From the standpoint of uh, people who shouldn't make it, make it. People who don't. Uh, no, people I mean, who I should, don't. Yeah, it's just, you know what it is? I like to, you know, I come from a, a sports background uh, in, in the sense that, you know, basketball was a big part of my life uh, up until, really, up until I moved to Hollywood. And with basketball, I love that I could go to the gym, spend hours and hours in the gym, working hard, working on my weaknesses, working on my left hand, working on my dribbling skills. And then I could apply that in the season. I could impress my coaches. I could move up the totem pole. I could get more playing time. I could get results in the game. And with with this business, it's like I, you I, it's sometimes it's harder to apply work ethic in places because there's just there's no you know, it's how you can go to the park and play pickup games and practice. It's, you know, I can sit in my room and write stuff, but I, I can't give myself a million dollars to make it. And I, you know, there's, it's just, it seems harder to apply hard work and, and get results for that. It's more of a crapshoot and, and that can be frustrating. And that seems everybody I know in this business seems to agree. Uh, like you said, there's there's people that move out here and a week later they, they book something and now they're huge and they're getting tons of opportunity. And then you've got another guy for 10 years. He's been killing it in comedy clubs. He's made a million YouTube videos, but just still seems to just flatline or something. And um, and, and, and and talented people. I can't, oh, yeah. I can't begin to tell you how many people I know that are so talented and so funny and so good at what they do, especially music, uh, musicians. Um, and they're just, you know, broken bartending. And uh, it's like, go figure. I, I don't I don't get it sometimes. Well, there, uh, there's so much that's out of your control. You know, you're powerless. It's yeah. a very powerless business from our end. It, it, it is. And that's kind of why I started writing and producing um, was to try and, you know, take back some of that power. But, you know, just to give you an example... I spent five years making Two Dudes in a Dream, which was an independent movie that I got, you know, people like Jason Mewes and Andy Milanakis and, uh, you know, people that I was really proud to work with and excited and created this little indie movie. And, uh, you know, that came and went and, and, and didn't really do too much for, for my career as far as, but it did give me a resume and it helped me in getting dumbbells made. 
Um, but now here we are nine years later, dumbbells is out and you know, I'm, I work in a restaurant. <laughs> I'm still a waiter. Uh, I've got good things going around, but it's not, it's not like what you would think. It's not, you know, everybody always says it's an amazing accomplishment. You, you wrote a movie, you starred in it, you've got distribution, it's in theaters, but nothing, literally nothing in my personal life has changed or my career. Um, Which is crazy to me. I mean, it's crazy to me. And that's not to say it won't happen. That's not to say that, you know, I do believe, you know, that you put something out there into the universe. You put your hard work. I believe there there will be reward, but it's not as black and white. And it's not as uh, it's not like, OK, movie's over. Uh, let's bring the next opportunity and the reward. It's just so abstract. And, um, you know, there seems there seems to be no rhyme or reason. Um, I mean, one of my favorite things to do you know, there's so many good movies that if you will watch and look at all the people that aren't the leads, but are maybe like the best friend and they're in a ton of scenes and then you've never seen them again. They've literally like, I heard that, you know, that guy, the Shermanator from, I was uh, just going to say him. I think he works, uh, in a sushi restaurant in Santa Monica. That blew my mind to hear that. Now here's that, a dude. He's the guy, <laughs> the Shermanator who doesn't know the show. How is that guy not red in hair series somewhere? You know? Kind of like beaver teeth. Like, yeah. And uh, he, well, he's like that guy, Courtney Gaines. Who's uh, that one? He was basically a young, uh, an old. Well, he was in like Can't Buy Me Love and Children of the Corn. He was that quintessential dude you saw in every 80s, early 90s teen movie. Yeah. Um, and you're like, this guy has to be a millionaire. You want to talk about fleeting success. Look at uh, Brandon Routh, the guy who was the Brian Singer Superman. Oh! Right? Like, could you imagine? You book Superman. You're the new Superman. You're on top of the world. A couple of years later, nobody knows about you. You've been replaced. And you're on some pilot that I think aired maybe four episodes and got canceled. Watch out for those twink parties up in the hills. You know, how many casting directors right now are like casting something and they're just going, yeah, you know, who can we get? Who can we... What about the guy, you know, the guy they put that billion dollar franchise on that failed, Brandon Ra Yeah, yeah, let's get him. Not. Well, what's even crazier is... Like Which, by I'm, the way, I'm not bad mouth. I, I feel bad. Like I, I think um, he should be working. You know, I'm saying that's the the business. I'm making fun of the business, not him. I want to be clear. Oh, vagina. Take that shot. Well, I mean, it's. I go on a lot of commercial auditions, and when I see like these well-known actors at the same auditions yeah. that I'm at, it's like yeah. we should not be going out for the same roles. I know. Well, that was that was the thing that was frustrating for me uh, when I, you know, right after I did the MTV show Disaster Date, I. I had a window where I, I had like five auditions a day. It was, it was insane. I didn't realize at the time how awesome it was. I mean, I did know that, but it was also, you know, it was overwhelming. But the point of the story is I, I would go the distance on so many of these things. But then what I realized, you know, I'd be in the casting office and I would hear the effing assistant offering the roles to name actors that me and the other guys so they what they do is they audition no names they take those three to five no names as far as they can and those are all backups if they don't get the names that they want right. for the thing and so i was i would always go the different distance but then always lose out to names and um it was maddening and and there was this there was this pilot once that 
They brought me in, the director, the writer, everybody was like, you're our guy, you're the guy we want. They actually filmed a couple scenes on a red camera with one of the actresses right. um, because they were getting um, resistance from the studio because they said, well, who is this guy? We don't know him and he doesn't have any you know, series regular leading TV credits. Uh, but the director, the producers, everybody was fighting for me and the network would not approve. They just said, we want this guy who was, uh, he was a stand-up comedian who had a following on YouTube. He had like hundreds of thousands of followers and they're like, this is the guy we want because he'll bring his fan base with him. So I remember after that happened, that's when I, I think that's when I said, okay, I'm going to make dumbbells because I was so frustrated that. Um, and that's not to say that it can happen. I mean, there's people obviously that, that book jobs that are, you know, no names. So, but it's, it's tough, you know, you're up against a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, even for commercials now you see big name actors doing like, like Dexter's doing voiceovers on like I think the new I Dodge. That a lot. There's a lot of voiceovers, like voices that I, I recognize, like Jim from The Office. Uh, he's uh, the voice of you know. There's there's a lot of yeah. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland is doing I think uh, some uh, voiceover uh, thing, and he's got a show on the air. I mean, think about it. If you and I were gonna make a show right now, are we gonna try to get people that have fan? followings and that are established or are we going to try and get two guys that nobody knows of course from a business perspective we're going to go for the people that are known and have followings Un unless um we've we know we have you know millions of marketing dollars behind it and we're specific specifically trying to find new people but i don't even know if that works i mean like uh, you know i'm friends with whitney or acquaintances with whitney cummings and uh -huh. friends with chris D'Elia and you know, I don't know how much uh, was put into the marketing of Whitney. I mean, it was billboards, bus, uh, not bus benches, the, but the side of buses. I mean, I've yeah. never in my 45 years on earth seen a show marketed like that. Yeah. And, and it failed, right? Didn't get I mean, I, I, I don't want to say fail. I mean, when it, what it went. I think when, it went a season and a half or maybe two seasons. You want to know what the problem with that show was to me? And I want to say that I'm a huge fan of both those guys. Had nothing to do with them. Uh, and actually, my old manager was the executive producer. Um, but uh, to me, the problem with that show was not the content, not the actors, none of that. It was the fact that it was uh, had a laugh track and was done um, like an old school sitcom. I just think that style of sitcom, I, I remember watching it and, and feeling kind of thrown by the laugh track. It just felt forced and weird to me. And I just think the style of sitcoms nowadays is more single cam, more like a 30 rock or the office. I think that's what people like. And I think that the show just having, you know, I, I just think Seinfeld, you know, King of Queens, I think those are some of the friends were some of the last shows to really, you know, embrace that style and kind of flourish. But I think nowadays, you know, I, I just don't think I don't think audiences will want to watch multi-camera laugh track shows. It's just just by the nature of having that be like that makes it feel outdated. And, and that's just my two cents. Um, again, I uh, I love Chris Ilya. I think he's hilarious. Very uh, nice guy, too. Whitney, Whitney Cummings, you know, I, I couldn't have more respect for all these people. It's just I, 
I know that as a when I'm watching television, if it's a laugh track, multi-camera type of show, I, it pulls me out. Like I can't, I'm not into it personally. Why do you think the marketing for that show it was like you were almost sick of the show before it aired? Because I mean those, I mean those over oversaturated with the marketing. You think? I mean, I've never seen a show that was so heavily promoted. Uh, before it came out you know what's been promoted a lot lately that i'm i'm kind of blown away by mostly because it's i guess you know hulu's now really coming out of the gate strong you see that show with the ghost the guy like it's called deadbeat or ghost Hunter. i know what you're talking about I, it's i see it everywhere and i'm just like i was you know i'm like damn hulu netflix you know amazon all these companies now are like new mini networks well they're really promoting uh orange is the new black a lot yeah, I've, I haven't uh, vagina. I haven't seen that show. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, but I, I hear about it a lot. I got into it because my guy from the wires and that the the, the Schreiber Schreiber kid. Who's your guy from the wire? Uh, I, um, you know the guy, the, the guy with Schreiber. The, uh, he's got the hair and the stuff. The mustache. He's got the mustache. Yeah, he's on. the mustache. He's yeah. a prison guard. Yeah, a prison guard. So. <laughs> What is this? Are we back at the groundlings? Act like a piece of bacon? Groundlings, you know they need they need to be groundlings. To they need to be grounded. Grounded. Hey, fuck the groundlings. Well, right? I mean, you know, I just would wish there was a little more honesty involved. But, you know, it's like, uh, you know, getting back to the acting coaches. My sister went to the D.L. Brown School. Oh yeah, what's that? Like, well, I, apparently, it's like the number one school. The D.L. Brown, Joanne Barron. Uh, uh, where here in LA yeah and uh or at least it was like De Niro would give the graduating speech oh, yeah. and D.L. Brown if you're thinking who is that he was the car stereo salesman in fast times uh, uh, yeah that's who I need to, to train me that's, that's but I mean that's when I watched fast times I was like that's that guy's an acting coach I don't but that's uh, crazy that that guy, at least when my sister was there, this is 10 years ago, was, I mean, it was by far and away, this is the guy to go to. Yeah. And uh, See, when I first moved here, everyone said Leslie Kahn or Ivana Chubbuck. Those are the two people that seem to be recommended the most. Um, and I did. I did Ivana Chubbuck for about a month. And who are they? Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of either. Yeah. They're, they're people that, you know, they got in at the right time. They They're good at what they do. And... They took off. You know, I will say this. I, I, I honestly, because I, I don't want to come across like a negative down player of, because I, I, I got so much from the Leslie Kahn studio. I absolutely loved it. Um, and so, and I also, you know, we're talking about how hard it is and, and all that stuff. But I mean, I also know a lot of people that, you know, they're, they're on series, they're, they're, they're doing well and um, they're working. And so, um, you know, you gotta, if you want to be in this business, you have to be optimistic, um, you know, work hard and, and just keep the faith and you, you never know what can happen. I mean, people thought I was crazy when I said I was going to make a movie and, you know, it came out and regardless of what it's done for me uh, as of yet, it um, it still is something I'm extremely proud of. And, and hey, if I, if I quit the business today, I'd be, feel really good about the fact that I kind of came, I saw and I, I did what I set out to do. So... You know, you, you, success and all that stuff is, shouldn't be based on external things. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is an, an artist business. So if you want to create art or something creative and, and you've gotten the ability to do that, 
And in your case, you know, you love to do stand-up comedy. So if you're getting up in comedy clubs every night and making people laugh, who's to say you're not a success? You know, maybe maybe it didn't spawn into, you know, 10 movies or whatever, worldwide fame. But, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that are going to look at you. And I admire you, you know. Like, I, I wish I could be out every night doing stand-up comedy around town and, and killing it. But um, I'm killing it all right. My penis is too small, so it just it wouldn't work. But you're a big guy, so it's gonna look small. Anyway. Yeah, just in relation. I wish I wish I was smaller, so my penis looked bigger. Vagina. Well, yeah, it's like that Asian uh, basketball player uh, Yao Ming, seven foot seven. I mean, can you imagine how little his dick looks? <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you're five uh, foot five and Asian and it's small, yeah. when you're literally two feet taller. Yeah. I mean, literally two feet taller. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to look like an ant getting out of a fur coat. I mean, it's they look pretty small, pretty small. Thank you for that visual. And and they dared say you weren't good at improv. How dare they? But the pressure. Now this is not a planned bit. I didn't know what you were going to talk about. If you think about, you know, a lot of great debate on what's the toughest job in sports. I think it's being a goalie in hockey. Goalie. Wow. You know, just off the top of my head, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Quarterback, you know, that's... Quarterback's really hard. You're the Um, leader. But, I mean, if you think about the goalie in hockey, here you have a six-ounce piece of frozen rubber coming at you at upwards of 100 miles an hour. Wait, are we talking about Eskimo sex or... Uh... You got players in front of you waving their sticks in front of your face to Wait, distract are we you. Wait, talking about Eskimo sex or <laughs> vagina? Uh, football, you know, you've you got 11 large uh, dudes lo- wanting to kill you specifically. Yeah. Uh, you know, baseball, a catcher's a tough gig, but I think the toughest job in sports is to be an Asian basketball player <laughs> in the NBA. You know, I... Hold I, on, though. Okay. To be an Asian basketball player in the NBA. So you're basically talking about Jeremy Lin. And have to, yeah, just one guy really. (laughs) And have to shower in an NBA locker room. (laughs) I mean. That's part of your bit. Come on now. The smallest dick in the locker room has got to be eight and a half soft. But wouldn't it be even more weird if he was the biggest it would be weird you know i think it's got to be harder to be a black guy with a really small penis because you're expected to be big right i mean i don't know too many who have a small one but this really imagine every time if you're a black guy with a small penis and every time you go to hook up with a girl she's more disappointed than if you would have been an asian guy or a white guy and he's got to be like listen i know i you know he's got to he's got to explain it so that's got to be even tougher than being the asian guy with the small penis i mean listen if you've ever seen a lexington steel video and his twitter handle is lex 11 i think you can Take a guess at what the 11 stands for. Uh, any black guy is going to seem small. He's the real deal. I mean, this is a hard topic for us to talk about because we just can't relate because we're so well endowed. You know. I mean, you know, I'm not. Uh, if you are close friends with me, uh, you've seen the cell phone picture. It's let's just say it's the world's <laughs> only double headshot. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I've gotten a lot of work out of it. Okay. Um, hey, th- listen, if it doesn't work out for us in comedy, I mean, if. We, there's always porn. Yeah. I don't. No, I. I don't think I could do porn. I could produce it, but because I've got some ideas, I want to. You know. Well, I'll tell you my biggest. You know, if I had, if I had two words of advice for the entire porn industry, it would be these: zoom out. 
Yeah. I mean, what the hell? I mean, when they do close up of just a penis going in a vagina, it's like, who does that turn on? I mean, I don't, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, like I don't understand how, why they zoom in so much. And it's like the camera angles. I mean, these are just people that have no business operating cameras. I think people in the entertainment business or the film industry are probably the people most disappointed when watching porn because they're horribly shot. I mean, they're, the acting's atrocious. I mean, let's go, porn. We need to evolve and get better porn. So maybe maybe that's that's your future career is directing porn. Well, I, we might be in agreement on that. We could be like the Farrelly brothers of porn because I, <laughs> I really don't need to see a close-up of some girl's uh, tuna hole. <laughs> it's like... After like... Lexington Steel or uh, Mandingo have pounded it for 20 minutes. I mean, it looks like that thing Boba Fett fell into in Star Wars. You know, it's like the most attractive thing is a female's curves in her body. And it's like, I want to see that. I don't want to just see, you know, the Death Star from Star Wars. I, w- I want to see, you know, the whole well, ship. Well, listen, the, the, like you said, the female body is stunning. It's beautiful. All shapes or sizes, skinny, fat, in between. I mean, it really is an amazing body. Big boobs, small boobs. I mean, Absolutely. It's just, but a vagina, when it's been, you know, worked for 20 minutes by a guy with a big yeah, big dong, it ain't pretty, it's man. It's just not the most attractive thing in the world. It kind of looks like um, scrunched up deli meat blew up in a fisherman's net. <laughs> I got I got no follow up for that. That's that's just well you that know. was the ultimate description of a well it's like there's a gay bar at the end of my street. I didn't say it, so you couldn't do a shot there, guys. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was teasing. I was teasing the audience. I mean, listen, if you're having sex for longer than ten minutes, things are going to get uh, misshapen, sweat involved. I mean, there's a bar at the end of my street. It's a gay bar. I live in a gay neighborhood. Okay, this conversation is taking a strong turn for the, uh, for the um, you know, we went from... <laughs> how to make a movie to... How to make a movie to... Uh, the name of a gay bar at the end of my street. Yeah. But that's a good podcast, That's though. That's a good podcast. I don't listen to other podcasts to see what type of questions you've been... Hey, maybe, maybe Earl, maybe should we play an improv game to kind of show the groundling people that are listening to this what they missed out on in our amazingness? Let me get through this gay bar story. Okay, so you're at a gay bar. You're no, on, I'm not you're on at your knees. I actually did. I, I'm in the back. Uh, you've heard of open mics in comedy. I was at an open <laughs> Steve. And uh, see, that's improv. That's just something that just, that's what they call in the business off the cuff. Okay. Uh, and the, the name of the bar is called Trunks. Now, if you're familiar with uh, gay bars, they're usually some, they're named after a sexual innuendo. And so as I was doing comedy at this bar, I said to the uh, owner, I'm like, well, listen, I, I know down the street there's a bar called the Mother Load. Uh, you know, I can pretty much assume. Jeez, are these real names? Yeah. Or is this like part of your comedy? No, no. This these is well, real names. It is part of my comedy, but it's true. I mean, the Mother Load, okay, That's I get a real, it. Okay. That's a real bar. And I'm like, but what is Trunks? I don't get the gay reference there. He's like, oh, dude, that's it's real simple. You see, uh, if you have anal sex long enough, your uh, back door starts to look like an elephant's trunk. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So I, if my comedy career fails, I want to start a gay bar uh, called The Cockertoo and have all the door handles be these huge dicks. See, what I don't understand about the the whole 
the naming of gay bars so kind of in your face like you don't go to a straight bar and you know and the name of the bar is not like get drunk one night stand or or or, or like dick and vagina pub <laughs> you know it's but how like, cool would it be if there were bars like that but for, like for straight people maybe like, maybe we should follow the gay community and maybe our bars you know should be called like uh you know never remember your name uh o'reilly's well i'm telling <laughs> you if there was a bar in santa monica westwood maybe in the Get, up, get laid. The bone zone. The bone zone. Or the gas station. I'm telling gash you. Gas station. I, how people? The bone zone. I'm obsessed with, and it's just like Larrabee, which is where I live in West Hollywood. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's like the cruising street because all the gay clubs are around here. Okay. And it, you know, after two a.m. on my street, it's like an ant farm of horny gay guys. Oh I mean, wow! They're just looking to blow it out. A.K.A. Earl Skakel's heaven. No, no. I, I, what I'm saying... <laughs> well, listen, I moved here right after 9-11, and uh, Jose Iber, world-famous hairstylist in my old building, mm-hmm. uh, said, Earl, don't go to Larrabee. I'm like, why not? It's a great condo. He's like, do you know what they do to young boys on Larrabee? You know, I didn't know it was the cruising street. Like, it's like it's the main pickup street. Really? I was just, how cool would it be, though, if there was like... like is that real? Oh, yeah. Or... It's crazy. I mean, I every time I walk my small dog... Uh, who's not with us today? She's chilling at another location. Nice, uh, Lois, baby Lois, baby Lois, um, undefeated at Michael Vick's house. Hey, oh, vagina. Uh, you know, I get picked up on, and it's like I wish there was a straight version of this street. Seriously, I'd live on that street. How great would that be, though? It's like you, you just single horny girls. Just <laughs> do you want, do you want to know something funny? This is a true story. When I when I first moved out here, I. Uh, I was jogging and I didn't I didn't realize that this was a uh, you know a predominantly uh, a gay neighborhood, and so I was jogging and it was hot out, so you know I was shirtless and um, I'm jogging along, jogging along, and yeah I make it I make a turn and the next thing I know I'm on Santa Monica Boulevard uh, west of La Cienega and um, turns out it was the uh, the gay pride uh, parade, <laughs> and so I like literally. Like, I'm on one block, one second, by myself, just having a normal day of jogging, and then all of a sudden, I am around hundreds and hundreds of wild uh, men that are, you know, basically in underwear, and I was just like, welcome to Hollywood, Brian. It was it was pretty, uh, it was pretty funny experience. And you're a good-looking dude. I mean, like, I'm more of a butch, uh, you know, I could see people thinking you're gay. Uh yeah, well, doesn't help that I was an art major and uh <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, I mean um you know, listen, I I love uh the gay community, gay people. Uh got a lot of gay friends and um Well, you have to in this business. Yeah, I mean, well, even if I didn't have to, you know, like I I'm everybody's awesome. I don't believe in discriminating. So, uh I think it's awesome that you live on Larrabee. I think we should, you know, walk your dog together and and just kind of, you know, get to know these uh these hooligans a little bit better <laughs> yeah well i mean i was raised around gay people uh you know my mom uh she didn't leave, really leave the house a lot uh, so you know like the, the hairstylist would come over he was gay the manicure lady would come over she was a complete lesbian uh her my mom's stylist uh, uh-huh. was a lesbian. so i'm like um, you know more comfortable uh i don't really care you know you know i have i have a gay joke uh just, but but please, before you do your gay joke, let me just throw out this disclaimer. Um, 
my name is Earl Skakel. It's 1.15 on Thursday. I do not necessarily uh, condone or agree with any jokes that guests say on the show. Go. Okay. So, uh, you know, for, for people that are gay that are scared to come out to their parents, you know, I, I, I empathize with them. And, uh, but if I was gay, you know, I, I would just I would sit my dad down and I'd, I'd be honest with him. I would just look him right in the face and I'd say, Dad, you know, if your sperm could swallow themselves, they would. I think you just got passed at the comedy store with that joke. <laughs> well, you're passed. You're good looking. Come on. That's gold, man. That's gold. Listen, I've heard worse. If that makes you feel better. Listen, I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'll, I'll leave that to you. Um, well, I mean, you know. Uh, but, but, I mean, getting back to, like, where there was a gay guy that was working on our pilot. who was very under the radar. I, I forget his exact job. He was, like, a script supervisor. He, he had glasses, and he's very creepy, uh, picking up on... Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, probably everyone on the set and, uh, you know, telling completely inappropriate jokes to uh, one of the producers. Anita. Maybe that's where I heard that joke from was that guy. Probably. And that's, that, that's all coming back to me now. I mean, you know, if you are homophobic, the entertainment business is not, you know, I well, suffered casting couch experiences. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I had a dude who was the head guy, at, head of casting at a major studio. He's, he's since passed away, so I, I don't want to say his name, but... Uh, you know, he gets me into his office on set. Oh, I think you told me about this. Yeah, I mean, and he, uh, I mean, this guy was a huge casting guy. I mean, you don't get much bigger than this guy. Uh-huh. And he calls me in. I, I think he saw one of my early stand up. Whoa, whoa. Brian, uh, <laughs> paramedics, paramedics. Yeah, sorry about that. No, it's good for the podcast to have a, a guest choking. <laughs> Go with it. Go with it. Okay. So anyway, he calls you in his office. He's naked. No. Well, uh, you know, so and this is a huge studio. So it's, his office is killer. He had a shower in it. He had a ca- like almost like a bed. It, it was just a very, uh, to this day, the nicest casting office I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Long story short, he starts talking. Oh, I love your stand up. You got a great look, all that stuff. And I was pretty green at the time. So I'm oh, great. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. And then he said, hey, man, can I show you something? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, what's up? He's like, well, you know, I ran a marathon this weekend and my testicles are bruised. And he starts to, like, unzip his pants. I'm like, hey, man, come on. What? And the whole the whole shtick was, then he switches bases. Oh, well, do you want to meet Brittany Murphy right now? She's on set. And I had the biggest crush on Brittany Murphy. This is, like, maybe two years after Clueless. Is this true? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Is so this then, guy still in his position? No, no, he 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 actually passed away. Uh wow. I uh and then he actually takes me after I kind of like like no thanks, dude, into the I, I think it was the initial table read for King of the Hill. Which is really cool cuz you had uh, the whole kid Brittany Murphy was there which yeah, yeah, and yeah. then uh I think was that a Mike Judge show or uh uh yes, it was. And he was there um and who I've met at the comedy store several times. You won't now. Here's a guy, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. All these great. Th- I think he's got something on HBO right now. Mm, you won't maybe. find a nicer guy. Like that's what I love about the business is when you meet someone like Mike Judge, who's like, I don't know how much money he's worth, but I'm assuming it's a pretty good. Yeah. And you would know if he was a gaffer on a non-union pilot. He's just very unassuming and very that's awesome. So there are good people out there. Absolutely, there's great people like you know. yourself. Oh, like you, like well, yourself. Well, I'm trying. But here's, you know, we've talked a lot of crazy things today. I, 
I don't want to end on this, but I really, I think there's a lot of people, uh, struggling comics, uh, actor friends of mine who listen to the show. I really, in all seriousness, want to, Analyze foot, uh, not footsteps, dumbbells. Footsteps was my friend's uh, play. So sure, sure, sure. The great Roger Rod's a one man play. Uh, I want to go from day one when you thought of dumbbells to getting it in theaters. Like, sure. I mean, because to me, and I, I'm being serious, it really is amazing that, and I don't mean to sound like Tony Robbins, that dumbbell starts off as an idea in your head, probably in your room, and then bam, take us through. Sure. You write it, go. Well, you know, I'm I'm a huge believer in, you know, your your thoughts and what you really believe is what manifests into your reality. I know that can sound cliche, but it's just kind of uh, you know, if I go off the track record of my experiences so far, you know, my belief in something is to me the driving force of, of and, and then the goal is to get people around you that have that same belief and, and then it just starts to build and so kind of the way dumbbells unfolded was uh you know i was i really wanted to do a television show um or i, I wanted to create a, a pilot for a television show and i wanted to pitch it and so i i i was lucky enough i booked a, a sun-kissed soda um commercial audition that paid me twenty thousand dollars up front it was the highest paying entertainment industry job i'd ever gotten and so with that money that I made, I said, you know what, I'm going to create a, a sizzle reel for a, a, a television show. And I wanted to do an idea of uh, kind of like a show like The Office, but um, in a gym. And that was kind of the, the, the first kind of birth of dumbbells. I created a television treatment. I uh, used like, you know, $7,000, raised money th uh, through a couple other people to help me out. And we, we got a, had my friend who's a producer, I put the whole cast together and we created this thing and it was so much fun basically hiring all actors and comedians that I believed in and, and a production crew and, and kind of putting this team together and doing this shoot for two days. That was Dumbbells, the television show. And so... Then we, uh, nothing really ever happened though. Like we pitched it to MTV and, and they liked it, but they wanted to change it and nothing was really happening with it. And it was such a, an adrenaline rush to kind of take the power and put it in my own hands and create that, that, uh, you know, I remember I was having coffee in a diner with my friend Hoyt, uh, who's the other star. Awesome. Hoyt Richards is awesome. Amazing actor, amazing writer. And um, wasn't he like the first uh, male supermodel? First male supermodel ever. Uh, really great guy, incredibly down to earth, and knows his shit. Um, and so we were having coffee, and uh, you know, had the epiphany, you know, because him and I were we, we loved to write scripts, and we were working on some script that kind of, you know, I know myself, I had lost a little bit of my enthusiasm and belief in. I said, yeah, it's, I'm not really excited about this idea anymore. And then all of a sudden the epiphany happened. What if we take the dumbbells thing that we loved creating? Um, what if we turn that into a movie? And I fell in love with the idea of just because the thing I do do love about independent filmmaking is I love that as long as you can get the budget and get the money and get someone to give you money that will give you the creative freedom. Then as an artist, it's your you get to play. And so that we literally I'll never forget. We got so excited, we started writing immediately. Normally when him and I would write something, we would outline it for a month or two, but I couldn't even wait. Like I just I had so many ideas I wanted. So we started writing it really quickly and him and I worked well because he was more of a studied 
bookworm kind of knows about screenplay writing and structure and I was more of this raw just have a million ideas so so we worked well he kind of guided my creativity and, and that's not to say that he's not creative I'm just I'm just saying that was kind of the way the dynamic in which it worked really well um, and so we started writing and then we're writing we're writing we're so excited about it and we're, we're at this point we're thinking you know we need to get funding we need to and then we got so frustrated one day because there was no kind of momentum anywhere other than us. It was our dream and our vision. And we, we went to a sushi place once and we, we got drunk. And it was right then and there where we said, you know what? Fuck the entertainment industry. Screw everybody. We're making this. We're going to make this movie. We will literally, we'll go, we'll borrow a camera, we'll rent a camera. We'll do it all completely um, grassroots. doesn't matter. We're making it. And, and we, we called a couple of people we knew and we said, we're making the movie. And what was fun about it and what I learned, and this is where I believe in the power of you know manifesting things, something shifted once we went from this is something we're writing and would like to make to no, this is something we have and this is something we're making. And what it does is it, it like it, it's like a chemical reaction in, to the universe, to people. People go oh, these guys are making this. I want to get involved. I want to get on board. And it, it, it builds momentum. And kind of from there, um, that's when all of a sudden puzzle pieces started coming to us like a magnet because we're, we're doing it no matter what. And so uh, next thing you know, we had people that wanted to be involved in making movies say, well, let me get the script. And now, that, now those people are thinking, well, they're going to do this anyway. Let me, let me see what I can bring to the table. And then make a long story short, uh, you know, people kept asking us for the script again once they knew like this thing's happening. And then that's where, uh, you know, um, my friend, he, he gave it to a guy who had, had always been interested in, in potentially getting involved in the independent film business. And he was a, a successful businessman. And this guy read it and he, he flew here from Florida to L.A., and, and meets us in the coffee shop we're working on the latest draft and sits down and just says, you know, guys, I really want to make this movie. And what was funny was the guy, one of the guys we were working with at the time who ended up directing it, starts pitching him. And the, he's like, no, don't pitch me. He's like, I'm in. And, 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 and the guy, he's, he keep, kept pitching him. And I had to shut him up and say, hey, he's telling us he's in. Like, stop pitching the guy. And, uh, you know, he, he shook our hand and was like, listen, I'm in for, you know, minimum around 300 grand to make this movie. And all of a sudden we went from these guys with this passion and this script saying we're making it to now we've got 300 grand funded. Boom. So from that point on, then it was about continuing to, you know, with any idea, it's all about the team and, and, and you have to have a team. And so from there it was like, let's get a, a producer that can kind of grandfather this. And I had just done a, a sketch comedy pilot with Barry Katz and I had a relationship with him. And so I emailed Barry the script and I said, I got a guy who wants to fund this. I said, would you be willing to help? And he, he wrote me back immediately and said, absolutely. I, I believe in you. And, uh, he kind of came on and, um, you know, he got us our, our casting director, Julie Ashton, who I had a relationship with just from auditioning for her. I bet. And, um, did Barry take 80%? No, no. Yeah. Barry was extremely gracious. Uh, There's a first. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but no, Barry was great. You know, Barry got us Jay Moore and Tom Arnold and, um, Fabio. 
No, uh, Hoyt Richards, um, my partner in crime, the, the co my co-writer and co-star, he's best friends with Fabio, you know, both supermodels. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's how Fabio came in. Um, it was great, by the way. Uh, it, it, thank I mean, you. Yeah, I thought Fabio was great. You know, Fabio is such a sweetheart. He's so not what you think. Like, he is a smart, down-to-earth, uh, just sweetheart of a man like just just a just a great guy i couldn't speak more highly about somebody you know he's just i love fabio and from there you know the whole thing just continued to come together you know next thing we know we had our whole production team we had a casting director we had our uh our date to start officially start pre-production officially start shooting and the whole thing came together kind of miraculously and um it's just been such an amazing ride and and, you know, regardless of how popular the movie is or gets, I couldn't be more proud of it. Um, it's creatively, you know, what I wanted to create and, and set out to make. And, um, you know, I just really hope, you know, with this podcast, you know, more people right now it's available. You can rent it on Amazon.com. You can rent it on iTunes. You can rent it. You can even rent it on YouTube. You can rent movies. It's like three bucks on YouTube now to stream it. Um, Netflix, too, or is that? Is it Netflix? Not? It's not. It's not available on Netflix as of right now. We're, Redbox. We're working on that. No, not not uh, Redbox either. You know, that's the other thing I've I've really learned that the DVD market's just not what it used to be either. It just seems to be more about online streaming. I mean, we had it was in theaters in 15 cities uh, at the beginning of the year, and then it was available um, on VOD and it was featured on Directv. Um, but right now it's just available on Amazon, iTunes, and YouTube. And, um, where it will be available from here moving forward is unknown. All those deals are still being worked out, but, um, but definitely, you know, if you're listening, you want to check it out, you can go to iTunes, Amazon, or YouTube. Um, it's really funny. And I'm not saying that just cause you're here. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, for once I'm trying to be serious. Uh, it's like, it's a, I love comedies like that. And, you know, I think you really love it if you've ever been a member at a gym. Uh, you know, like I've either been a member or worked at every gym in this city, literally from Gold's in Venice to Equinox. In yeah, you're a big fitness guy. I know that about you. Well, they're the only jobs I've ever had. You know, front desk, I was a trainer. And, and so, I, like Hoyt's character of that. <laughs> He's naked that, in the locker room. That older super good looking stud at the gym there's there's always that one dude yeah, and, and yeah. you know and if you guys want more info the website's dumbbellsthemovie.com and it's i mean i know there was a twitter uh, the twitter account didn't seem to be like super active i mean w was twitter not no you know that's the hard thing too with independent filmmaking is you only have so much money i mean you know with 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 most things they have like a team or a department that are their social media so we tried as much to, to do as much as we could on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but it's hard, you know, like we've all got full time jobs and things we're doing. So it's just you, you can only be on Twitter so much. You know, I'm barely on my own Twitter, let alone Dumbbell's Twitter. So, we, you know, Twitter was a challenge and Facebook and all these things just because they're the type of things where you got to be posting constantly every day. Well, I've got the time. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I should hire you next time to be my social media guy. Well, that's one of the benefits of uh, being an unsuccessful stand-up comic. You got a lot of time to tweet. Yeah, yeah. Time to, tweet. time to tweet. Time to tweet. Time to tweet's the name of my punk rock band. 
see, you're a jack of all trades. You're like the Lee Ving of uh, Lee Ving, a great uh, musician from the band Fear. Uh, you know, he's an actor. He's, he's, oh yeah, his, absolutely. I admire. Uh, or you know, Jeff Goldblum. He's uh, a horny guy on the scene. Uh, a great actor. Jeff Goldblum. He's trying to. Uh, I love. Uh, have a few lady friends of mine who he's uh, taken. You know, I was uh, in a, I was in a play and Jeff Goldblum came to the play. I was I was shocked and I was like, oh my god! Oh, he's great. Man. Jurassic Park is in the building. The Fly. The Fly. I mean, come on now. Now you've acted with like big name actors. Is it hard? Like my uh, biggest problem, like you know, in, in the scenes I filmed last week on Rob Schneider's show, I had a, a few scenes directly with him, and I know him, but. For me, since I'm not really an actor, it was it was hard for me to like have this one particular scene where I had to look him in the eye. He's looking at me in the eye, and I'm like, "Fuck, this is Deuce Bigelow." Like, yeah, it, yeah, like, yeah. Is it hard for you to like have a scene with someone famous? And uh, not- absolutely, you know, uh, in Dumbbells, I had a few scenes with some really famous people. Um, you know, I remember I had a scene with Jaleel White, who, by the way, Urkel, awesome. Uh, yeah, but you. You can't call him that uh, because you know <laughs> uh, the guy is 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 so so nice, so funny. I, I've actually met him before that, but I you know I didn't I, I would never call him Urkel. I was a huge fan of Family Matters, um, but you know you want to you want to give a guy res- you know respect. I mean, he's Jaleel White. He's not Urkel, and I'm sure he gets sick of that. Well, so fuck him. yeah, no, so. Uh, so, but I was I was nervous to do the scene with him because I'd grown up watching that show and I was such a fan of his. Um, I I thought he was just I I loved Family Matters and I loved his character. I loved how he would do Steve Urkel, but then Stefan, the cool version. So I was definitely uh, nervous in that scene. Um, in the back of my mind, when I worked with Tom Arnold, I was definitely you know a little kind of nervous. Um, Carl Reiner, who's a comedy legend, oh my God. I was like you know. It definitely it definitely plays in to to it but once once you kind of get into it and you're you're doing it it's like anything else you know you 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 uh you end up being okay well i recently uh met roseanne barr i was, I was doing a short um, film i guess you'd call it for her film production company and uh she opened the door to the studios and i you know i was kind of starstruck so i went to shake her hand and she's like oh, i don't shake hands and, oh really uh, She's like a like the Howie Mandel germ freak type. I'm like, and I said to her, I thought she would find this funny. I guess it wasn't. I'm like, you let Tom Arnold eat your pussy, but you won't shake my hand. You said I that. went for it. I took a shot. What did she say? She kind of chuckled and is like, you know. Oh my god! I went I th- for it. I think that's what we have to end on, Earl. I think like that line. Oh, this is just getting going, bro. Yeah. No, I. You know what? I. I wish I could. Do you have to go somewhere? Well, I'm. I'm in a new play and I have rehearsal at two p.m. What time is it right 1:30 now? One thirty in right, the well, valley. Okay. Well, listen. Um. I. In all seriousness. Uh. Now I'm under the gun. Under the gun. Great kiss song on Animalize. Under the gun. Vagina. Um, uh. Only a kiss album. Mark St. John played guitar on. Except for uh, Lonely is the Hunter. But, but I am sad to be leaving. I, I. I would stay here and chat forever. Well, I would like you to come back again. Uh, you know. Whenever you want, Earl. And I. And in all seriousness, I know we got to wrap up. I, I do apologize for making you come back because I fucked up on the film. Uh the recording of this but um listen support this man what's your twitter 
uh, at Brian underscore Drole, B-R-I-A-N underscore Drole, D-R-O-L-E-T. And uh, get Dumbbells, uh, YouTube, uh, Hulu. Amazon, iTunes. Uh, the, yeah. You, it's really funny. And Thank you, Earl. And keep Brian Drole's name in your mind because he's, he's, he's the real deal. And, uh, you, you know... He's just a good guy, and uh, just I like seeing good guys or girls make it. Um, this is another episode of Inappropriate Earl. You can uh, listen to us on SoundCloud, or for you Steve Job pole smokers, uh, we're on iTunes, Inappropriate Earl. Don't look up Earl Skakel on iTunes, as you'll be directed to my uh, shitty comedy album, which I think I've sold 15 uh, copies in four years. I mean, this is not uh, Kiss Alive 2 burning up the charts. Leave a review for us on iTunes. And if you, if you hate the show, uh, say it. Uh, I leave all reviews up, bad or good, um, until uh, our next guest uh, will be the great Stephen Piercy, the singer from Rat. Com- well, he's not the singer from Rat anymore, but uh, he's coming back for more. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Brian Drolais, the, the best. Damaged Goods. Let's get Damaged Goods in in production yes. 2015. That is all. See you.